Sign up to The Economist for in-depth curated expert analysis of world events and topics ranging from business and culture to science and technology. You'll get the weekly digital edition, online-only articles, curated newsletters on politics, the markets, science, culture and China, and full access to The Economist Podcast Plus. The Economist is independent journalism for independent thinking. Go to economist.com and get your first month free. Hello and welcome to The District. I'm Cara Kennedy, staff writer for The Spectator World, and I'm joined today by Hack, Julie Birchall, and Christopher Bedford, the executive editor of the Common Sense Society. Today we're talking about Christmas, and I chose these guests because Christopher Bedford is apparently known as the King of Christmas in Washington, D.C. Ben Dominic calls him that, so it must be true. And I've asked you <laughs> virtual because, well, she's just really fun. So how are you both and how are you getting prepared for the holidays? Well, counterintuitively, I'm not keen on the holiday season because all year long I like to buy people presents and carouse. And then when Christmas comes, you're allowed to do it and I don't want to do it. So hang on, what are, you, what are your Christmas plans? I ain't got none. Be very quiet. Are you having a turkey dinner at least? I'm a vegetarian. How dare you? So just just a not just a normal weekend for you then? Not normal. It'll make it boring. Usually I have fun, but I don't want it now because I'm allowed to have it. Christopher, how are you preparing? <laughs> uh, right now I'm busy uh, arguing with my fiance over where we should put the Christmas carolers. She thinks that they're dreadful and kind and kind of creepy, and I think that they're important and traditional. And we came up with a little compromise on that, but. Putting up the tree, preparing for cocktail parties. My fiance is working on which appetizers and heavy hors d'oeuvres she thinks should be presented. Thanksgiving was a bit of a case run in the United States where we tried out, she tried out new cranberry sauce recipes, et cetera. And I got to have to figure out which, which sorts of alcoholic beverages I'll be, I'll be serving, how much glassware I'm going to need, how much glassware I'm going to break. And I think we're going back and forth over whether or not Christmas dinner itself should be black tie or cocktail. The ladies are pushing for black tie, but I don't know how well I'll be able to cook in a tuxedo. And I think the traditional, the the men and women who held black tie Christmas dinners before weren't doing the cooking themselves. Julie, I have to ask, what is your view on Christmas carolers? I'm very much in favor of singing on any occasion. Okay. Okay. And if you were going to hold a Christmas party, would you have black tie? Is that a cocktail? Yeah. I don't believe in things like that. I would just get everybody drunk because I'm English. But what, what kind of dress are we on about? Like black tie attire? Come as you are, I would imagine. Whatever that may be. Who knows? It could lead to all sorts of fun. Chris, are you having one of your famous Christmas parties this year? Uh, uh, not this year, but we'll be planning it for next year. For At least in the, by the famous Christmas parties, I mean the ones that have 200 and 300 guests. Uh, we just moved, so we're not quite ready for that, but look forward to it in the in the next year. I think this year we'll probably just have about 50 or 60 people over for Christmas. And it's important. One of the reasons, unfortunately, we have to insist upon a dress code is, well, it's twofold. One, people in modern society have been letting their dress slip far too much. If I had an airline, I would bar most people from getting on it. People like to show up to these sorts of holiday feasts 
skip the prayer, wear elastic sweatpants so they can breathe more easily after stuffing their faces. And I just don't think that's the way it, it ought to be. But secondly, when you ask the men to dress up, and men are largely leading this decline, well, that gives the women an excuse to dress up. If they know that the gentleman will be wearing a tie, at least, and a jacket, or maybe even a, a, a tuxedo, then that gives them an excuse to go get a blowout or go get their hair done and nails done, to get with their friends, to rent a dress, or to go pick out a new gown. And my experience is they'll just generally have a much better time when you at least hold the men to a, a certain a certain standard. Uh, this is funny because me and Julie were talking about this the other day, and Julie has a special thing that she gets done ready for the Christmas season. Julie, do you know <laughs> what I'm talking about? <laughs> Injectables. Yeah, so Julie has a lip spilt ready for the kissing season. <laughs> uh, but that's so, the only observation I will make. So, Julie, when did you start getting it done now? Whoa. I think when I gave up cocaine, I thought I have to do something people don't approve of. Yeah, 2015. <laughs> okay. Right, on to Christmas parties. So the reason I had both of you on is because I wrote a piece about how I'm not really a big fan of Christmas, but my favourite part about it is is the party season. Because for me, I think that the Christmas parties that are arranged are kind of the perfect time to really misbehave because you don't see anybody for a few weeks over Christmas (laughs) put your head down and and think about your behavior uh what do you guys think (laughs) I'm still a little embarrassed over my behavior at the Reader's Digest UK Christmas party circa 2006 when I was an intern a fact-checking intern back when newspapers still at least were pretending to have fact-checking and they it was a wonderful party, beautiful downtown hotel, lightly snowing outside, champagne everywhere. And what got me was when one of the executives showed up at the end of the night and said, well, why don't we start ordering martinis? And a martini is a wonderful way to start an evening. It is a dangerous way to end an evening when still in public. <laughs> I'm not exactly positive how I got home, but I had a friend who used to hang out in front of the Tesco near there, a... Um, a homeless guy from Scotland who I liked better than any of my classmates. And he had some stories for me the next day. We'd apparently got into a little bit of hijinks. Fortunately, fortunately, I wasn't hurt. <laughs> That's all I can, I can be positive about. Julie, what about your Christmas parties? Have you got a story? Oh, let me think. Well, when I was 17, I went to work for the New Musical Express, which was a, a newspaper about pop music. And, well, frankly, we'd go to this nightclub and they'd give us as much amphetamine sulfate as we could handle. And then the band um, Dr. Feelgood would play until everybody just dropped down in a dead faint. And because I was doing that when I was 17, it gave me a sort of exalted idea of how much fun things would be. And I guess they weren't that fun again. Yeah, well, this is the sad thing about being a young journalist is that the kind of Fleet Street really naughty days seem to be over like when I went to my last work Christmas party I thought wow I'm gonna get so drunk and then I ended up getting so drunk that my editor (laughs) my editor had to take me to the door um, to make sure that I could was actually going to get home and I was in trouble the next day so it doesn't seem so fun anymore but I can be in trouble anywhere and I do remember one Christmas where my friend and I 
we were so drunk that we had to get a homeless man to go and buy alcohol for us because um, he was more respectable than us. So that was quite bad. <laughs> right. did, did you pay him or pay him in alcohol? Oh, we, we paid him handsomely. But, um, yes, it, it was a, quite a thing to consider that that we were two respectable, well, hacks, and he was a poor drunken man, but he was more trustworthy than we were. There's still some room for deplorable behavior. I remember one of the parties that I was hosting, we had one of the waitresses came up and said, excuse me, there's a young couple in, in the basement, which was the staging area for the, uh, for the hors d'oeuvres and the drinks for the, for the folks we'd hired to help us out. So there's a young couple downstairs using illegal drugs. And I immediately knew who it must be, even out of those many hundreds of people. And I said, you tell that so-and-so and whoever he's with that they better get out of the basement and stop bugging the staff, which they did. And a few years later, they were married on a tropical island. And as far as I know, they had oh. met that night. And as far as I know, are happily married to this day. So there's could be That's some good lovely. that comes out of even getting yelled at at the Christmas party. Judy, what do you think about that? It's a lovely story. I do remember something that happened quite recently. In the charity shop where I work, two people, two volunteers had sacked in the window and they were sacked, not because of that, but because they ruined the reindeer and he doesn't work anymore. Terrible. Yes. So what do you guys think about kind of Christmas drives? Are you ones for like Christmas jumpers, antlers? So Julie today thought that this was going to be TV rather than podcast. So she went out to buy a Christmas jumper. So Judy, I'm assuming that you're... Well, I went out to get my antlers. I would never wear a Christmas jumper because in my job in the charity shop, I have to steam 50 a day now in December and I'm sick of the sight of them, especially the one that bells on them. <laughs> I, I, I'm personally annoyed that half the time you buy an ugly sweater on the internet, it's actually just a sweatshirt with a print on it. I think we should bring back actually traditional ugly sweaters. But some of my favorite things to wear on Christmas is it's an, it's an opportunity to break out maybe more, uh, maybe a louder tweed jacket or one of those wool ties or bow ties that otherwise you couldn't get away with. Chris, let's go on to your, so clearly Chris is like, the professional party hoster and last time we spoke he went through a little step by step of how he sets up the parties and one of one of the steps was that smoking is downstairs so pregnant women and people that don't want to smell like an ashtray can stay out out of the out of the hazy smoke yeah but that's sort of isolating people into the boring and the interesting isn't it and it's not really very nice for the boring ones. The, uh, the, the upstairs where the, where the pregnant women were, those years where we had the smoking downstairs, I recall many of them sending their husbands downstairs to get them another glass of champagne. I think that it was roundly considered <laughs> the safe drink. No, actually, Julie, that's a good point, though, because if I was one of the pregnant women upstairs surrounded by other pregnant women, I would feel like I was missing, on a, missing out on a bit of the fun downstairs. So what you have to do to fix that is provide some kind of draw in the upstairs. And our solution that year, which I will never repeat again because the amount of fights that it caused, was a Manhattan bar. Uh, I misjudged Manhattan bars, even though I attended bar for 10 years and forgot how much of the drink is actually water because you're stirring it. If you just mix all of the ingredients to keep them cold from, the, from a refrigeration and don't add any water and people are filling their glasses... Well, it gets very dangerous very quickly. But having some kind of cocktail bar and, and having a nice room, I think uh, that room was the library. So people would come and peruse it 
anyways, whether or not they're pregnant or not. But you can't have any kind of choke points in a Christmas party that's as crowded as that. Any places where people can simply hang out all evening. So we would do maybe a white wine bar in one room, a red wine bar in another room, a champagne bar in a different room, the punch in the back, the Manhattans or other cocktails upstairs and, and beer and such. And that just allows people to, especially couples where they might be drinking different things to sort of have to move throughout the party and have to engage with different folks and not simply find any place to camp out. What about in terms of party games? Julie, how about you? What, how about you? Do you like any Christmas party games? I think you like uh, kissing, like the story oh, you Yes. Well, that's the open season for me. I do like a thing that you play with the kazoo, but I've forgotten what it's called. You get a kazoo, right, and you have to play a tune on it, but it's really, I think any game gets boring after a while, apart from kissing people you're not meant to be kissing. Uh, There's always some fun to a white elephant party with alcohol, too, because you know that some of your cheapskate friends are going to bring just something that no one really wants. And then some of the guys who maybe it's their first time going to this party will put a lot of thought into something, get something rather nice. And what makes that interesting is as the night goes on, people have a incentive to drink as much of their gift that they've gotten as possible so that no one else will want to take it from them, especially if it's a nice scotch or (laughs) bourbon. And that. Those th- those things combined to, by the end of the night, a rather cutthroat game of taking each other's gifts when it's your turn at the White Elephant Party. That's a good point, because if that was me, if it was a bring your own booze party, I would be the one bringing a £10 bottle of wine and then going to find somebody else's nice stuff to drink. <laughs> exactly. Cheapskate. No, are you not a cheapskate, Judy? I am absolute cheapskate. I would not be bringing anything more than like a £10 bottle of wine. A very extravagant person, but I do think the difference between Christopher and I, it's very much the difference between America and uh, Great Britain. And we are just terrible boozers over here. We don't really have time to get it in the glass and make a nice cocktail. We just want it. It's like mother's milk to us, isn't it? Just straight from the bottle. <laughs> no, I also think that about the kind of thought that goes into Christmas parties. I feel like it's definitely a, an American thing that like there's a strategy and you have a whole kind of crypt sheet about about how you're gonna do it. Whereas here I think it's a bit more just you kind of chuck something together. Yes. And there's that- a phrase for an English party which is called it's a stand up and shout. And that's what most most English people do, they stand up and shout and they neck as much booze as they can. And that's it. I, I did admit I learned my strategy from a from a few generations prior. My friend Howard Suggermark was the inventor of this Christmas party. He had uh, whole boxes of glassware in the basement just with the intention of being able to make sure that there was no plastic cups anywhere at these sorts of parties. And he would write memos, probably starting in October, to all the co-hosts. And these things would usually be about four or five, six pages long. I used to remind him frequently that the, that the president of the United States gets strategic memos of national import on one pages, but we couldn't get the Christmas party to less than six. And it, he he led with the whip, absolutely. What, what One Christmas party where we had tried to build a covering over the back because of incoming rain ended up with uh, the nails we'd put into the tent flying back and forth and hitting people. and candles being blown over when a windstorm came in. And while me and a number of other men were going around trying to take down this tent before anyone got hurt, he was sending the staff around behind us to relight the candles that we were blowing out. He's the kind of guy who would make sure that he was in a tuxedo as the Titanic went down and had a good drink in his hand. 
and he, I learned a lot from from his from his hosting and him teaching it. But but to your point exactly, I don't know many other people who haven't had that benefit who have who have, who throw those kind of parties that he did. Uh, next question: Who would your dream guest be for your Christmas parties? Lenny Bruce, the comedian. Okay, because he would offend everybody. I would like to see what he would make of woke times. Oh, yeah, yeah, a woke Christmas party. I wonder how that goes. Yes, he broke up early. And Chris, who's your guest? Oh, obviously, Kara Kennedy. I think that I think you sound like a delight at every Christmas party you can go to. Oh. You know, though I always wondered what it must be like, you know, for Halloween, for example, to dress up like maybe a pilgrim or a Puritan and to just go around being the least fun person you could possibly be, knocking drinks out of people's hands and accusing them of idolatry and such, but uh, I'm torn between those two. I think you'd win out. <laughs> well, now you say that, you know that I'm in DC next week, but you're not having a Christmas party, so. No, but I think I'll be crashing the company party for sure. Okay, yeah, you can come to this <laughs> Christmas party, but it definitely won't be as well organized as as your ones. We'll fix it up. <laughs> okay, guys, thank you so much. And don't do anything I wouldn't do. That doesn't leave me much, does it? I know. Thank you for listening. If you enjoyed this episode of The District, don't forget to subscribe. You can find us wherever you listen to your podcasts. The Spectator World is the American edition of the world's oldest magazine. To read more content on similar topics, please visit spectatorworld.com.